0: Um, so, <clears throat> <clears throat> uh, just just a quick uh, introduction uh, is that, um, as the sermon title suggests, we'll be talking about something kind of unsettling. Um, so I have to warn you that this is not the most like lighthearted uh, kind of uh, message. It, it can be pretty heavy, the topic will be kind of heavy, uh, but <clears throat> and it may not be the most comfortable uh, message that you will, he- you will hear from me, but also in, in a way, uh, we'll get to that later, uh, that it would be a very affirming uh, message at the same time. Um, so, yeah. <clears throat> so what is this um, unsettling truth, you may ask? <clears throat> Excuse me. So um, there's a story. Let me start with a story. There's a story of this skeptic uh, once asking the famous French atheist and a philosopher, Voltaire, um, you know, if you would uh, just uh, speak some words of comfort to a friend who was was dying. And uh, this is what Voltaire, Voltaire said. This is how he responded. I don't think I can do that the thought that there might really be hell plagues me continually. So even an atheist, someone who is really adamant that there is no such thing as God or there is no heaven and hell, right? But just that the possibility of the existence of hell, it constantly plagued them. The reality of hell, it is a topic that we don't really speak of or hear often much. You know, many churches do not really address this because the pastors or the churches think that it would make people very uncomfortable. Just talking about hell is just not politically correct, right? I mean, in this day and age, no, you don't want to talk about good things. Talking about heaven, talking about you know, just this um, good things in life, the blessings of God, the love of God. And so a lot of churches, they don't really, and the pastors, they don't really talk about this because they know that the mention of hell, talking about hell, it's going to make people squirm, right, in their seats, in their pews. They're like, oh man, why are we even talking about this? And some pastors who do talk about the gospel and sin, somehow don't really mention much because they think that it's already implied when we talk about heaven, going to heaven, or being saved, obviously, that implies that we are being saved from going into eternal destruction and and hell. So even in the churches that talk about the gospel, they don't really mention the reality of hell because it's already implicit. But I think that even though it is already implied, we already know the existence and the reality of hell, but I think still we need to address it. We have to talk about it, right? We should note that it was Jesus who talked about hell more than anyone else in the scriptures. Surprisingly, the grace of God, the Jesus who we consider to be. Very gracious, merciful, very uh, generous, loving. And yet, he is the one who really talked about hell, the reality of it. It's a frequent theme and a teaching that he gave to his uh, audience. So, you know, when we hear the word hell, we picture this raging inferno, right? With people, like, really suffering in it. Oh, it's really hard. It's just like... People are in torment. And oftentimes we think of like the Hollywood rendition of hell, right? Like when they, you know, some of those, you know, uh, some of those few, um, you know, movies, like Hellboy or whatever, like it's just like, you know, uh, they're just people that are suffering and raging uh, you know, fire. You know, when I was young, you know, I used to get really scared of, <laughs> about, of, uh, of hell, right? And, you know, like... One way to really just get people, uh, like, especially young people's attention, is to actually talk about the reality of hell, right? Boy, that could really just get their attention real quick. Um, and so we come to this passage. Now, it's so the second Peter. So the first Peter focuses on, the, on instructing the church on how to deal with. Persecution that comes from outside the church, because you know, as Christians were being persecuted in the first century, uh, from you know the Roman, uh, the the government, the uh, the Jewish people, and just secular people, a lot of persecution. So, First Peter talked about how to deal with persecution that comes from outside, and Second Peter teaches them, teaches the church how to combat false teachers. Inside the church, all the wicked people, wrongdoers, coming into the church and just really causing error and just kind of confusion in the church. And in chapter 3 here that we read, Peter encourages the church to be watchful in view of the Lord's certain return. Because, you know, in verse 3 and 4, it says, Knowing this, first of all, the scoffers will come in the last days, with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. So, they, he already recognizes there are scoffers, people that are really cynical, people that are really skeptical already in the church, and kind of scoffing at the people that are belie- among the believers, saying, They will say, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Ha, huh. you guys talk about, you Christians talk about that the coming of, the second coming of Christ. Well, you guys always talk about it and just wait for it, the judgment and all those things. Well, what has happened? Ever since the beginning of creation, things are still going in the way it is. Nothing has ever happened. You guys always talk about the coming judgment and all of the nonsense but where is it? Has it ever happened? And Peter says, Well, they overlooked the fact that indeed there was a time when God brought judgment upon all of humanity. In Genesis, Noah's flood, as we all know, by the waters, God brought judgment upon all the people because of their sinfulness. They are deliberately overlooking that truth. So that's what verse 5 through 7 says. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was um, formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by means of these the world was then existed, was deluged uh, with, with, with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. People will just kind of make uh, ridiculous and make fun of us. Ha! Where is this judgment, the coming of Christ, the day of judgment coming? It doesn't happen. You guys keep talking about nothing's going to ever happen. It says, it will come. It has happened before, and it will happen again. And so I'm just going to actually be, so be, uh, focus on verse 7 more today about the destruction of the ungodly, right? So then what does the Scripture teach us about this reality? The reality of hell. So the first thing is, it is the final place of those who are condemned to eternal punishment. You know, C.S. Lewis said this, and I quote, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrong and possibly be broken. And we all know that, right? If we are in love, with whether it's a, a team that you're rooting for, somebody that you were really interested in, then there is the possibility, the possibility you will be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it keeping it intact, you must give your heart. You must give your heart to no one. Wrap it around carefully with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark motionless airless it will change it will not be broken it will become unbreakable impenetrable irrede- uh, irredeem- uh, irredeemable the only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers of love is hell bible is clear about the last judgment and after that you enter we enter into you either go into we either go to heaven and be in the presence of God for all eternity or end up in hell being separated from God forever and ever hell is a place where there is absolutely no possibility of love and rest. The Bible talks about the weeping and gnashing of teeth. It is a place of fire, torment, and destruction. And maybe these descriptions may be a little more symbolic than like real literal fire, right? But nonetheless, they are real. If anything, the reality of hell will be more terrible and horrifying than what we are thinking. The teaching about hell is meant to be appalling to us so that we may know that though heaven will be far better than we could dream, so hell will be far worse than we would imagine. We don't know exactly what heaven will be like. We can only just kind of take a guess and kind of imagine what heaven must be like. But same goes for hell. We could only guess how horrifying it would be. But it will be much worse than what we are thinking of. I remember uh, a long time ago, I was on this uh, mission trip and then we were in Cambodia, and, and in Cambodia, we uh, in the capital, um, it was there was this like uh, prison for uh, political prisoners because uh, back in the 70s, 60s, and 70s, uh, the Cambodia they just went through the whole like uh, a communi- uh, communist regime took uh, took reign, and this guy named Pol Pot, he basically just gathered all the intelligent people. Right, he wanted to really turn the whole country into agricultural communist uh, way of like way of living. So anybody with uh, who worked glasses mean they read. So there must be so like he just locked up so many of these, of these people, and he tortured so many of these people in the prison, and there are pictures of it. And after going through that uh, the prison, um, like back then, like I was pretty young, and uh, I had really great appetite. Nothing really fazed me. But man, going through that uh, prison, I was so sick to my stomach that the kind of things that a, a human being can do to another human being in torturing them and to such extent, it, I, I felt so sick, I couldn't eat anything. It was just so sickening. But it would be far worse than anything like that. Or any war zone or even a Nazi concentration camp, or any place where heinous crimes are happening, it would be far worse than we could imagine. And that would be hell. These are issues of eternity. and We must understand the gravity of this subject. There was a... uh, in, in college, I, I knew a guy, so a friend of mine, uh, you know, just talked to him and just share the gospel with him, and he actually became a Christian, and, like, ever since then, so I, I saw him in my first year, in freshman year, and then for four years, every time I was with him, I was so challenged because everywhere he went, he would just talk about the gospel and just, like, even one time, we we were just standing in a, a grocery store, and then he was even witnessing to the, trying to witness to the, uh, you know, the cashier. Even the, the, the time that as she was going through that, he was just trying to talk to him about the gospel and Jesus Christ and all those things. Because to him, it was such a there was such a sense of urgency. Like if I am really safe from the eternal destruction, people gotta know about this. Had my, had not my friend witnessed to him, he would have never. I don't know. He would have ever, you know, heard the gospel. Because he was he was surrounded by non Christians. He's never been to church. So he has such a sense of urgency. I think part of the reason why there is much evangelistic endeavor in the church is because we don't really realize the terrifying reality. There are many reasons one of the reasons is because we don't really we fail to realize the terrifying reality of hell and we downplay its reality yeah it, it's hell but we, that's about all we really talk about heaven and hell but we focus on heaven and then but we kind of downplay we're like mm, it's just very unsettling it's just very uncomfortable to talk about or think about hell Yes, our main focus should be on the gospel truth and how we can be with the blessings of God and the love of God, the grace of God, absolutely. But we should not uh, ignore the the reality of hell as the final place of eternal punishment for the unrepentant people. And the second thing that the scripture teaches about uh, hell is it is a place, this is the destruction of the ungodly here, and it is a place where God's justice is seen and ultimately experienced. It is a place where God's justice is seen and ultimately experienced. You know, hell is not so much the absence of God as the consequence of His wrath and displeasure. We think, yeah, yeah, hell is a place where you know, God's not around, right? So that would be so, oh, how heartbreaking it is. Well, that, uh, yeah, but it's not so much that but as the consequence of our actions and how we would, uh, the people would receive his displeasure and his wrath. Jonathan Edwards, back in the 18th century, he, uh, he was credited or a lot of people consider his uh, one sermon, sermon titled Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God as, as the, basically the, the starting point of the Great Awakening. Uh, back in the, uh, in the 18th century, in the, uh, in the, in the 17th, uh, 1700s, a lot of people were, uh, in, in, in America, even the people, the Christians in the church, were in this spiritual lull. They were just kind of very complacent they just kind of went about doing their own business. It was very religious things, but it didn't really make any difference. But from this uh, sermon, um, that really, the people who, uh, it, it's recorded that after, when, as there were people were hearing about this um, uh, message, people were so, there was so a grip with the, the reality of the anger of God and the reality of hell so powerfully that people were like, crying out, oh my goodness, is this me? Is that, am, am I going to go to hell in the way that I live my life, even though I attend church? And that just like really like gripped all the listeners. And that really was credited as the starting point of the great awakening in America. It wasn't just started with just one church, but it spread to all over during, uh, during that time. So there are consequences to our actions. Every action, everything that we do, our actions, our thoughts, our motives, there are consequences. Some, we face them soon enough, right? We do some not so unwise things. We will face the consequences right away for some of those things. Others, we may not face them for a while, but eventually we will have to face them before God. Nothing will escape His attention, His watching over us. We may hide things from people, we can get away with certain things, we may not have to face consequences now because somehow we do a good job of concealing them at the moment that other other people may not see, but we will have to give account before God. Justice is served when the offender faces the just consequences for his or her wrongdoings. Can we say justice is served when, say, um, and it's an extreme case, but a killer, right, Gets free without facing any consequences. Can we say that a justice served? If somebody kills somebody but he walks away free without any consequences, God is a just judge. His justice must be on all who have sinned. His righteous condemnation for defying him and choosing to sin without repentance will be experienced in hell. His justice will be served there. So it is unbiblical to speculate that there, uh, there will maybe a second chance, maybe after death, maybe some people may have second chance. No, it's unbiblical. Or even some people who may consider, uh, who may say that there is an annihilation of the ungodly at some point Unfortunately, one of the more uh, famous theological uh, theologians, John Stott, ha- held it to this view. It's just too much for him to think that this loving God could allow an eternal pug- punishment for the ungodly. But that's not biblical either. Hell is unending, just as heaven is eternal. Those in hell will realize that they have sentenced themselves to be there because they have loved darkness rather than the light. They refuse to trust and obey their creator and redeemer. They rejected God in their lifetime and his offer of salvation. They would rather indulge in sin live according to their own pleasures. Rather than surrendering themselves to their maker, they declare independence. I don't need you. I am my own God. In a way, hell has a basis in God's respect for human choice. All receive what they chose, either to be with God forever or to be without him. It's their choice in the end. I, I knew somebody who I, I've been trying to witness for some time. Now we just don't talk, uh, we don't keep in contact with anyone. But every time I try to, like, you know, witness to him, he's like, no, that's it's for you. That's fine. Okay. Just don't try to just, you know, shove it down my throat. I don't need God. And so there is one, that I, I shouldn't have said it, but I was so frustrated one time. I said, you know, it, 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 you may go to hell, right? I didn't want to talk about it, but at that time, maybe I shouldn't have, but I said, I was so frustrated because he was so insistent. And so I said, you know, you, you, you're going to go to hell. And, and then he said, obviously, he was really offended. And I said, so be it. Okay. I don't want to be with, why? What, you know, I don't need God, right? I don't need God to tell me what to do in my life. It's, it was his choice, right? those in hell will know that not only do they deserve their punishment for their actions, but they will know in their hearts that they chose it. Right? Because their lifetime, they say, I will not have God in my life. Never. They chose to live a life apart from God and that's what they will have in hell. They chose the self-indulgence of sin over self-denying righteousness. So hell is a place where actually the justice of God is seen revealed and will be experienced. This is really heavy. I know. I understand. It's very like you know, kind of depressing. As a man, this is. Uh, it's pretty bad. But now, and the last point that I, I have is also. Then what is the purpose then? It is meant for us to embrace the gospel all the more. You know, Bible's teaching about hell emphasizes God's justice and his righteous anger toward sin. But at the same time, because of its terrifying reality, it makes us turn with gratitude to the grace of God that saves us from it this is not a this fear cells kind of marketing strategy from god right we know like you know marketing strategy right fear cells if you talk about something really like scary people tend to give their ear to it like, oh, really like you know if you during the 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 this great recession or during the financial like meltdown in the the, the 2008 2009 Time frame, man, the, the, the bestsellers, you know what the bestsellers were? The people that was it. there that will be a complete meltdown of Western civilization as we know it. Or like, there was gonna be a complete like, meltdown, like, you know, there will be no you know, fiat currency, you know, all of those kind of things. You gotta buy gold and, and all these things. Those were the bestsellers because people were so fearful. Fear sells. It's a marketing strategy. But nothing, it's not, that's not what we are talking about here. We don't get to appreciate what we have until something horrible or tragic strikes us. We don't. You know, my dad passed away when I was in seventh grade. You know, while he was alive, I took him for granted. And I didn't realize the impact of his presence to me and to my family until after his departure. I never, like, really, I was like, oh, man, I'm, you know, it's like, a traditional, like, you know, Korean dad. Didn't have really, like, a really, really you know, good, close relationship with him. And so I didn't really think it it would really impact me much. But after it was gone, and then I realized, wow, okay, I realized and appreciate. I appreciated him. It's because the word of God teaches us about, because, um, you know, the, the word of God teaches us about what, the reality of hell, it makes us be thankful for God's grace and his offer of salvation all the more because we know what is there, what we are bound, where we are headed. The parable of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16 depicts the reality of hell. Where there, the people, like the, the rich man, Lazarus, they are fully conscious in the afterlife. And, there is a, and, they, and the rich man knew that he was suffering greatly. And also, it talks about there is a great chasm that no one can ever cross between heaven and hell Hades. Scripture makes it clear that we are doomed for destruction and eternal punishment because of our own defiance and rebellion against God. How we respond to his own initiative, his offer of salvation through Christ Jesus in this life makes an eternal difference. Had Jesus not come to this world and offered himself as our substitute on the cross that we would have received, our just punishment in hell. And there is not a soul who could decry God's injustice. I said, that's not fair. That's not right, God. None of us will ever charge God with being unfair or uh, that it is not right for God to punish. The magnitude of our sin against the Holy God is that great. I think What we do is so often we grossly underestimate the gravity of our sin. Oftentimes, if you think about it, if you're honest, maybe it's just me. But when I think about my own sin, it's like, yeah, for, for a second or two, I feel guilty. When I come to realize, at least when I realize that I've sinned against the Lord for a little bit, I kind of feel bad about it. But then it doesn't really last long. I kind of shrug it off. Ah, oh well. Right? It'll be okay. We really underestimate how serious this is against the holy God. But hell makes us realize how serious he is about our sin and about his righteousness. So from a a biblical perspective, God's warning to us about hell is in one way, is merciful. It causes us to embrace the gospel all the more. How we were hellbound, we were absolutely helpless and hopeless on our own to be in the presence of God. No matter how hard we try, no matter how good we try to be, it will never ever be good enough. But by God's incredible mercy and grace, he sent His Son. He sacrificed His only begotten Son in our place while we were yet offending Him time and again. If you think about that, it is an amazing grace because the, the terrifying reality of hell should make us realize that's how terrible it is and that's where we are headed. But By the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are no longer there. But his, by sovereign choice and grace, he plucked us out of where we were headed and offered us to be with him for all eternity. That is indeed amazing grace. Why wouldn't you want to run, run, to, the, run to the cross? Why wouldn't you want to embrace the, embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ? Why would we want to just kind of go on with our so-called Christian life in a really half-hearted, very casual way? Kind of downplaying the gravity of our sins. Ha, ah, I sinned. Okay, sorry, Lord. Lord, uh, I'll do better next time. And move, move on as if nothing really, really, like, happened. And then we just keep going into falling into the same sin over and over again. It's because we don't really think that it's that serious. We don't think uh, what we do truly offends God. If really if it really strikes fear in our hearts and realize how serious and how grave it is, our sin like, offends God, we'll probably do a much better job of oh you know, sinning, but because we have very casual view of sin and the reality of hell, we may end up just keep sinning. Ezekiel chapter thirty-three, eleven 11 says, say to them, say to Israel, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live, turn back Turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? God is pleading through a prophet of Ezekiel, why would you turn? Why would you just insist on just running down the path of destruction, not following him, not obeying him, not walking with him, continuing and insisting in your own ways? turn back I have no pleasure in destroying or oh, death of the wicked some people may say oh yeah God is you know God is like oh he's having fun with this or like he's eager he's like trigger happy to bring judgment on people but this verse along with others make it very clear that he has no pleasure in that He's calling us to a posture of repentance and turning from our ways, turning to Him and living, living with Him. May we understand the reality of hell better so that we may love God more and embrace the grace towards us all the more. And the implication of this, all of this is that we have an urgent call to be his witnesses. The destruction of the ungodly that this verse 7 talks about is now one day closer. It's getting closer by the day, by the moment. Should we just sit around with a sigh of relief? Whew, at least I dodged the bullet. That's good enough for me. Or go on living as if that's all that matters. I have a fire insurance now. I don't, I don't go to hell, so that's, that's all that matters. While there are people around us who are just running. Their eyes are so focused. They can't see anything else. They have a tunnel vision, and all they see is they're running hard without ever lifting their eyes to see that there is a God who loves them. There is a God who are calling them to a life of repentance and turning to him, coming to the light and to to live a life of righteousness. They're running, they're racing right now, running so hard to the the Christless grave and hell to eternal destruction. Think about people around you. Maybe, Maybe your family members, relatives, neighbors, coworkers, people that are in your sphere of influence people that you know that are running towards the eternal destruction. And What should be our mindset? Should we just go on living? Well, you know, I can barely survive on my own. Let me just kind of, you know, just like get my life straight. Let me get my family, you know, more secure place. I I want my family, I want my loved ones to have a better life more secure, then then maybe at a later time, when I get to it, when I'm around for it, when I have room for it, time for it, maybe I will look and see how other people are doing. Would that be, is that the right mindset? So as we think about this reality, and what the scripture teaches about the, the reality of hell, may that really cause us to come before him, turn to him, be reminded of the gospel, how Christ saved us from the horrifying reality if we are in Christ. And now we are called to, to live as ambassadors, ambassadors of Christ, as the, to, 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 to be his witnesses. May that be our mindset as we move forward. Let's pray. Let's go before the Lord and let's um, go before him and just take a moment to. Uh, give thanks to God for saving wretched people like us, wretched sinners like us. We had no hope on our own. We all were once running towards hell, towards a place of eternal punishment and suffering, receiving the full wrath of God. That's where we were headed But by his grace and mercy, he showed his mercy toward us. He opened our eyes and ears and hearts to the reality of God, how he loves us so much, how we are so sinful, and yet he sent his son so that he would be sacrificed in our place where we should have been. Is the gospel really old news to you? Does it have any stirring in your heart? Because you have heard it so often, it's just the same old, same old. Is that the mindset? Do you realize the reality of hell And there is no expiration date. Once you are in hell, you are in hell for all eternity. There is no rest. There is no stop. So as we think about, yes, being in the presence of God for all eternity is awesome. It is a great privilege. And we are to be so thankful for that at the same time. We should not neglect the fact that there are people around us that God may have very well uh, sent in our lives who need to know the truth. Salvation belongs to God, so he's the one who is saved, but at least we are called to witness To the gospel and also the reality of hell for the ungodly for the unrepentant there will be an eternal punishment consequences for, for their actions so let's uh, give thanks to the Lord for saving us and rescuing us at the same time let's pray that we would uh, really have a, really a, a greater heart for the people around us, they will somehow be used by God as his messengers to share the gospel with them so that they would also know the truth, come to the light, and experience deliverance, that they would find meaning and purpose of their lives. So let's go before the Lord and let's also lift up those around us Pray for them. Pray for God's uh, divine appointment, intervention, that God would break through through to, to their hearts, that God would have mercy on them. So let's go before the Lord and let's pray.